Different story. We like this one. This one's tougher. So let's try to work through it a bit and get what's happening here. So there's a cast of characters. First, there's Herod. He's the king. What you don't know is he's the son of a king as well. And his dad's name was Herod the... And he gave himself that nickname. You know a guy's got problems if he's trying to figure out his nickname? He's like, well, Herod the Average... Herod the mediocre? Herod the pretty good? Herod the great. Yeah, write it down. Hashtag Herod the great, right? So he names himself that, and he is not a great man. Kills one of his wives, and he's killed some of his kids. When he dies, he's got three sons that take over a third of his kingdom. Each of them gets a third, right? Herod Jr. gets a third of the kingdom, so he's one of the surviving sons. He now gets a third of this kingdom and he's always been born with a silver spoon, always lived, I should say, with a silver spoon in his mouth. So he's kind of a spoiled kid. You're gonna see what that does. So he throws this party, you know, he's got cash. Even though it's a third of the kingdom, he still has these generals and he has this army and he's, he's got cash. He's set up. So that's Herod Jr. Then you got Herodias. Herodias is the villainous in our story. So here's what takes place. These three brothers of Herod the Great, sons, I should say, that are brothers, they still have an allegiance to Rome. So every once in a while, they have to make a trip to Rome, meet Caesar and say, hey, we're still with you. Pinch some incense to Caesar. We're not trying to rebel against you. We're on your team. So they do that. On this trip, Herod Jr. and Philip's wife, Herodias, they have an adulterous relationship. They get home. Herod Jr., who was married to a Nabataean princess, the Nabataeans, have you ever seen the city of Petra? It's a rock city. It's literally carved into a rock. If you've seen uh, uh, the Temple of Doom, I think it was, one of those, it's in that movie. So it's just brilliant. They made that. So she is a Nabataean princess. He divorces her, sends her home. Her dad's the king, he's ticked. So now he declares war on Herod Jr. So now he's got a war on his eastern front, right? Herodias divorces his brother Philip, comes down and marries Herod Jr. Philip's mad and Philip declares a war on Herod. So it's just messed up, right? It's drama, total drama. And what you see in this story as much as anything is this, ego, and greed and lust are always enemies of the kingdom and kingdom people. Because John the Baptist gets swirled up in this whole drama, right? All this crazy stuff. So that's, that's these two, Herod Jr., Herodias, slime bags, they deserve each other. Enter our third guy, John the Baptist. They're hyenas, John the Baptist is a lion. So who is he? If you don't know who John the Baptist is, he is the crazy cousin of Jesus Christ. Like even Jesus's family had one. Like that just is so real, just so good for me to know, right? Every family has somebody crazy in it. If you're sitting there thinking, not my family. Yeah, it does. It's you. 
You're the crazy. <laughs> All right? So here's what John the Baptist is. If you don't know him, he is amazing. He is a camel skin wearing, zero carbon footprint, dumpster diving, paleo diet prophet with no filter on his mouth. There's no affirmation, correction, affirmation with John the Baptist. If he thinks it, he says it. Tells you the truth. We get an example of this in Matthew chapter three, the first kind of example we get of John the Baptist. His ministry is growing. People are flocking out to hear him. And then all of a sudden, the bigwigs from Jerusalem travel out to the Jordan River to see who this guy is. They're the important people. They're on TV and radio. So they show up. So what do normal people do when really important people show up? pander to him, right? Oh man, so good to see you. Come here, have a seat in the front. Wow. What does John the Baptist do when these important people show up? He calls them sons of Satan. Who warns you to flee from the wrath that's coming? You brood of vipers. Snakes have a connotation in the Bible, right? Genesis chapter three. You are descendants of Satan. That's what he calls them. So he is unfiltered. He tells the truth. So he's out there baptizing people. He hears about what Herod Jr., the king, has done in Galilee. So he hitchhikes out of the Judean wilderness, shows up into King Herod's throne room and says, you need to repent. What you have done is unlawful. Send that woman away. Now, why did he do that? Because that's what prophets do. So there's another king. His name was David, also involved in sexual sin took another man's wife. And Nathan the prophet marches into his throne room. You know, he tells this story about a man with one lamb and a man with a thousand lambs. You guys know the story. And then David's incensed, that man must die. And Nathan says, you're the man. This story is about you. This is what prophets do, right? And it says, I love this, verse 18. He was saying to Herod Jr., right? So it is him camped out on the steps of the palace, out there eating grasshoppers dipped in honey, wearing his camel skin. Every time Herod Jr. comes out, repent, get rid of that woman, following him around all the cities. Repent, get rid of that woman, right? And finally, Herod has enough, throws him in prison. But when he's in prison, he starts to call on John the Baptist to come up and talk to him. And I love verse 20. It says he was both perplexed by what John said but glad about what John said, perplexed and glad. Now, what was John the Baptist probably saying to him? I think every time he called John the Baptist out of prison to hear him, he would say, you need to repent and get rid of that woman. Just over and over, repent, get rid of that woman. And I'm sure Herod's like, well, that's great. Is there a part two to this sermon? Because I heard this one already, right? But John the Baptist doesn't care. He just keeps telling him the truth. And Herod Jr. loved to hear it, but never responded to it. And I don't know if there's a more dangerous spot for a person to be in, to love to hear the truth, but to not respond to it. Because there's a thing that we can trick ourselves. We can trick ourselves into believing, well, I heard the truth, so it must mean something. It must have done something to me. No, no. You have to do something with that truth for it to ever matter. So he is perplexed and glad because he heard the truth, but he never responded to it. And he gets into worse and worse and worse predicament. We'll see that. 
And I think John the Baptist had a feeling something wasn't gonna go right. Because if you read Matthew 11, it tells us the backstory to this, that he had sent some disciples to Jesus and was like, hey, Jesus, you're God in the flesh. I'm your prophet. Did you get the memo? I'm in prison. So why don't you do something about it? The hyenas are coming after me. I'm all by myself. Rescue me. And Jesus does not. And instead, on Herod Jr.'s birthday, he's pulled out of his prison, had his head cut off, and his head is presented to Herod's niece slash stepdaughter, which is a really strange thing to say. Right? That's hard. People say the Bible's boring. Like, have you read it? It's like modern times, man. See, go on HBO. Are you kidding me? It's Game of Thrones right here. So let's try to piece this together because you've got winners and losers in this story. Who's the winner in this story? If you just take this story, who's the winner? Herod Jr. is, isn't he? He parties, has a great time with his buddies, doing whatever he wants while John the Baptist perishes. Does anyone like Herod though? Anyone know anyone named Herod? Anyone know someone named John? History looks differently on this. But in the moment, man, it sure looked like the hyena was winning. Let's, let's look at him real quick. Three things to notice about Herod. Number one, it's his sin. So he takes his brother's wife, something he should not do, something was unlawful, something that was wrong, and the repercussions are this. He's now fighting two wars on two fronts. It's gonna drain him financially. He can't leave his house because he's always worried about a Nabataean assassin getting him or Philip sending somebody down. So he lives in complete fear his whole life. I mean, talk about busted up family. Can you imagine 4th of July celebrations in this family? Like there's fire, like literally they're setting each other's houses on fire. Like that's what's happening. It's a bummer, okay? Because here's the thing. Sin has its own repercussions. Do you know that? The Bible says this, it's Moses speaking. It's Numbers 32, 23. And Moses says this, be sure. If you wanna be sure about something, Moses would say, be sure your sins will find you out. That there's a natural built-in, like physical laws, repercussions to sin. And Herod Jr.'s right now facing those repercussions. War on both fronts, family drama, busted up. Number one, his sin. Number two, notice this. He is confronted in his sin, but does not repent from his sin. I'm gonna tell you this. Unrepentant sin is greedy. It has an appetite. It's never satisfied. It is ravished. That's what unrepentant sin is. So just look at what happens. He has an adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. Doesn't repent from that. Next step, divorces his wife, sends her home, and then takes Herodias as his own wife. Doesn't repent of that. Then has this birthday party where a 12-year-old girl, 12-year-old girl, 
This is a sixth or seventh grade girl, 12 year old girl, dances suggestively in front of him. And he looks at her and is like, oh baby, I will do anything for you. What do you want, sweetie? I want John the Baptist's head. Do normal people cut off somebody's head because a 12 year old girl asks them to? Yeah, they do. Because that's what sin does to you. Sin always gets darker and darker and more greedy and more greedy. Sexual sin is a sin that is like nothing else. I can't tell you the number of times I have sat with a man in an office who has told me things that he has done that I'm just like, what in the world? And then he's like, I don't know what happened to me. This isn't who I am. Because sexual sin will always take you darker than you could ever imagine. King David, the model of kings, gets involved in sexual sin, and what does he become? A murderer. I'm sure King David was like, what in the world happened to me? I'm not a murderer. Mm. Normal people don't cut the heads off 12 year, or John the Baptist because a 12-year-old girl asks them, right? Wrong, wrong. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you're involved in sexual sin, Repent. Because that unrepentant sin will get greedy and greedy and greedy. It'll take more and more and more of you and you'll become something that you are afraid of. Repent. Get help. We have 423 communities here. And 423 communities have one goal, to make sure that sexual sin is repented of and cured because it will take you dark and take you in the way you could not imagine. Get involved in one. Because unconfessed sin is greedy. It's hungry. It'll take you. And then thirdly and lastly, he's imprisoned by this. Notice in our text, and it really teases it out. Like over and over, it shows that he's not a king, he's a puppet. Did you notice that? So he um, is mad at John the Baptist and puts him in prison. Why is he put him in prison? It says, for Herodias, his wife's sake, right? He probably could have dealt with it, but his wife keeps nagging him and nagging him and nagging him, saying, fine, I'll arrest him. Then he wants to kill John at first, but he doesn't kill John, why? Because he's afraid of John. Well, I'm afraid he's a righteous man. Maybe this is gonna look bad on my record. Maybe I won't do this. But then he starts to like John the Baptist, hears him gladly, perplexed by his message, but then, so he doesn't wanna kill him, but he does kill him, why? because of his guest's sake, right? It's telling you something about Herod Jr. He is the least free guy in our story. He can't make a decision on his own. He's dominated by other people's opinion over and over and over again. He's the least free guy. He's a puppet. And the last word we get on Herod Jr. is this. He was sorry. He was sorry. You want a sorry life? Live like him. Don't repent of your sin. Let it get darker and darker and darker. Be imprisoned to other people's opinions. Never make your own choice. Now, why'd that happen? Why is he such a puppet when he should be a king? I think here's the reason why. There's this text in Proverbs 31, and it says, this is how kings live. Kings don't touch other people's gals. They don't get drunk, and they help out the weak. That's really what it says there. Here's how a king is supposed to live. Herod didn't get the memo. Herod didn't read the text because he didn't know what kings are, because he didn't know what a king does. He ends up doing all kinds of the wrong things. 
Listen, you and I, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, do you know what you are? You're a king or a queen in training. And when you realize your identity, what you actually are, you know what that sets you free? It sets you free to do what you're supposed to do. You don't have to wonder and question like, hmm, a 12-year-old girl asked me to kill this guy. Should I do that? Well, of course not. I'm a king. Kings don't do that, right? Hmm, I'd really like to log on to this site. Should I do that? Of course not. Kings don't do that. Queens don't do that. That's what happens. You get set free. You get strength because you know who you are. You're not having to debate in the moment. Hmm, these guests are kind of, I made an oath, it was stupid, and this girl won't. You don't have to do that because you know, I'm a king, and kings and queens don't do that. Know who you are in Jesus Christ, and you become marble, not jello. Know who you are. You are a king, a queen in training, and kings and queens don't get involved in that junk, so I'm not doing it. That's a lesson from the winner. But here's a lesson from the loser, John the Baptist. Now, I want you to think for a moment. Think about John the Baptist. Think about his story and think about your own story. Think about how disappointed he would feel as he's getting jerked out of his prison cell. You ever felt that? You ever felt like, man, I did everything right as a parent, as good as I could for my kids? Man, we had family devotions. I got them in church. I spent a lot of money sending them to a private Christian school. And now they're addicted to pain medication. Really, God? Where's your promises? What happened? It felt like I did everything right. and didn't turn out right. God, where are you? Maybe you're in school right now. And you stand up for the week. And you help people that are picked on. And now you're getting bullied for it. And you're saying, God, really? I, I did what was right. And now I'm struggling for it. Maybe in your marriage, you've tried to do everything. You, you've loved your spouse with all that you can. And then they had an affair on you. And now your marriage is crumbling. And you're saying, God, what, really, God? Maybe you've tithed and you've been generous to the kingdom. And now you can't pay your own bills. And you say, really, God? Maybe on your job, you're the one person who's standing up for things that are right. And because you're standing up for things that are right, you're getting fired. And you're saying, really, God? Really? Really? I thought I would win, but it feels like I'm losing. Think for a second about John the Baptist. He had obedience to God at a level that I don't think I could. He becomes a homeless prophet of God. Think about that. What if God called you to do that? What if God called me to do that? Matt, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and wear a camel skin. Hmm. John the Baptist is like, sweet, love camel skin. Matt, I want you to go out there and eat grasshoppers. I think John the Baptist is like, really grasshoppers? Okay, you can dip them in honey. Yes, got it, man, awesome. I want you to live out in the wilderness, not have a house. Just live out there and preach the gospel in the desert. I'd be like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Right? John the Baptist is like, yeah, let's do it. Right? You know what I'd do? God called me to do all that kind of stuff. I'd either A, pull a Jonah, go the other direction. I can't do that. Or B, I'd do what Adam did. I'd blame my wife. You know, God, I'd totally go be homeless and, and eat bugs and work. But, you know, yeah, Charity, she just can't do that now. It's the woman you gave me. I'd do it, God, but she just can't handle that. Right? His obedience is on a level 
That's probably beyond what you and I would do. And what is his reward? Trophy wife, house with a three camel garage, swimming pool, of course, for the baptisms, right? That's why I need the pool. Baptize people, it's what I do. No, he gets put in prison. And when he's in prison, one day there's a knock on the door and he's jerked out of his prison cell, brought up to this feast where there are people drunk, oogling a 12-year-old girl and his head is chopped off and put on a platter and presented to Herodias. That's his reward, right? That's hard. The lion lost. The hyenas won. That's hard. So what do you learn from this? Well, if you backtrack just a little bit in this story, and read Matthew 11, it tells us something that was going on in John the Baptist's head when he's in prison. It says he's in prison and he's waiting. He's waiting for King Jesus to do something and nothing changes. So he takes two of his disciples and smuggles a message out to them. And then the message is this, hey, go ask Jesus if he's the one or if I'm supposed to wait for somebody else because I've been in here a long time and things are getting dangerous. So he sends out this message to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't do anything. And John the Baptist dies. So in the end, if you read that, who was John the Baptist trusting? Was he trusting Jesus as king or was he trusting the story that he thought should happen? I'm a lion. I've been obedient. I've done everything God told me I should do. So obviously, he's gonna rescue me from prison. And then I'll continue to go on with my ministry, right? Is that trusting Jesus or is that trusting the story that he had in his own head? And if you actually scratch a lot of our faith, my faith, if you scratch down into it, you know what I actually trust? The story I've had in my head of what Jesus is supposed to do for me. I'll do these things. I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll give some money. I'll do this for my kids. And then God, you'll give me this. That's most people's faith. That's my faith a lot of times. But it doesn't work out that way so often in life. And we get disappointed and we get jaded and we get angry at God because it doesn't work that way. He's the king. He decides what's right or wrong. That there comes a point, I think, in most Christians' life where we're faced with a John the Baptist moment and we got a choice right there. Are we gonna trust the script we have in our head that Jesus is supposed to follow? Are we gonna trust King Jesus? And to trust Jesus in that moment is both terrifying because you don't know what he's gonna do and exhilarating because you don't know what he's gonna do. John the Baptist faced that moment. Well, Matt, why should I trust the unscripted Jesus? Why should I trust the King Jesus? Why should I trust him like that? Here's why. It's John 15, 13. No greater love has a man for his friend than he lay down his life for him. Jesus didn't get his head cut off, which is a quick, merciful way to die. He was pinned to a cross and bled out because he loves you and me. Because he says, Matt, I don't want just 70 years down here for you. I want eternity with you. 
So I'm going to absorb the wrath that you deserve. I'm going to absorb your sin. You'll send your sins violently into me and I'll take them upon myself so the bridge back to the Father can be remade and you can have eternity the way that you're supposed to. And when that happens for you, you are set free. You get to live like a king or a queen because other things don't rule you anymore. Like Herod was ruled. He was a puppet. Because Jesus is your king now. The unscripted, unsafe, good King Jesus writes your life now. So you can say no to stuff. You can say no to pressure at the job, to do things incorrectly. No, I won't do that because your career is not your king. Jesus is. You can say no to that boy who's bringing pressure on you to be sexual because your boyfriend's not your king. King Jesus is. No, I don't live that way. You can say no to a culture that wants to press you into its image because acceptance by culture is not your king. Jesus is. That's what happens. You can say no. You can tell people the truth. Why? Because Jesus is your king, not their opinion of you. You get set free when you trust the unscripted, unsafe, good King Jesus. I trust him. I trust him in this life and I trust him in the one to come. I can trust him, right? I, don't, I can tell the truth up here because having a big church is not my king. Jesus is my king. If it means being the pastor of a small church, so be it. If it means I'm not a pastor me, so be it. Jesus is my king. I put everything on the altar. It's his. You do what you want with it, King Jesus, and you're set free. You're able to live in a way, you're able to live with integrity, you're able to live with a peace that passes understanding because you're not trying to make the script work. You're saying, I trust Jesus to make it work. And so not about 70 years, it's about 70 billion billion years that is the ultimate concern of my king and I trust him and you're set free. So in every story I read in the Bible, I always ask myself, who am I? What best represents me in this story? Herod Jr., Herodias, John the Baptist? Who am I? Am I allowing unconfessed, unrepented sin to become greedy in my life and take me down a path that will go dark? Am I Herodias trying to manipulate other people to, to get my bidding done? No, I don't want to get my hands dirty. I'm going to use my daughter to do it. Am I John the Baptist? Wanting Jesus to work a certain way, and when he doesn't, saying, I don't know if you're the one now. Who am I? And here's the good news. We end every service at Edgewater on Sundays with communion. Because what we do is we take whatever weight scripture has pressed on us. Wherever it has taken us this morning, we take it and we bring it back to him saying, all right, help me. Help me then. Jesus, I need your help. So maybe today if it's a sin, that's beginning to own you. The Bible just says, confess your sins. 
And he's faithful to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from that unrighteousness. Jesus, this thing is owning me. And I wanna be both forgiven and I wanna be cleansed. I wanna be changed from it. If people's opinions are making you a puppet and you feel like jello because you're just all over the place, Jesus, today, may your opinion hold primacy in my life and every other opinion bow to it. May I be set free from being a puppet. Maybe it's John the Baptist. I can be that way. I have a certain way. I want God to work, no doubt. But sometimes I have to say, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm not the center of the stage. Jesus, you are. I don't author the script. Jesus, you do. Help me to play my part well. Help me to do that. So Jesus, today, wherever each one of us is, you know. We know. And so we bring our junk, our burdens to you. Because you are the burden bearer. You're the one that absorbs these things. You're the one that can take what the enemy would want to use for evil and actually turn it for good. And that's our hope. And so we confess our sins. We confess our lack of faith in you. And we pray as we partake today in your broken body, this is our prayer, that we would not trust our script. We're so limited. But we'd trust you the author and the finisher of faith. Let's eat together. And we take the cup. May, may we never leave your sanctuary without receiving being reminded that we've been redeemed. That though our sins were like scarlet, that they have been made white as snow. That he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. We're forgiven. As we go out these doors today, may you protect us from the lies of the evil one. Maybe because we've acted Herod-like or Herodias-like. May you protect us from the lies of the enemy that says we're too far gone. May we never make our sins greater than your cross where every sin was paid for, every debt counseled, every ordinance that was against us was nailed and covered in your blood. May we never forget that. Let's drink of his forgiveness. Amen. So we'll sing one final song. After that song, you can be dismissed. We do offer two things, prayer and baptism. There'll be people up here. They'd love to pray for you. And Galatians chapter six talks about if somebody's overcome, if they're overwhelmed by something, then 
Those that are spiritual, come alongside them and bear that burden. Maybe you came in with a sin that's been owning you. And you know, if you walk out these doors today, it'll probably own you still. Come and get prayed for. There's a burden bearing in that moment. It's spiritual, it's deep. I, I can't explain it. But in sharing, and I know that's hard, in sharing and confessing, that's when you're set free. So maybe today is the day to do that. Maybe your heart hurts. Maybe you're worried and concerned. Well, cast your cares. Come up, get prayed for. And there's baptism. Maybe today is your day to be baptized. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Well, step one is to know Jesus. Baptism doesn't save you. It's just water. Baptism is your first act of obedience to King Jesus. So if you've never received King Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, come up. There'll be somebody right here. They'd love to tell you what it means to put your faith in Jesus, to repent, turn away, know who he really is on your behalf. And then the next step after you've received Jesus is the Bible says you can be baptized, identifying with the life, death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. And something incredible can happen. It did for me or just you embody that remembrance. So prayer, baptism, take your option. I pray, my prayer for you in this message was this simple thing. We have to trust Jesus. You're not gonna control this world. The ebb and flow of life, you'll never control it. Trust Jesus. Would you stand for one final song?